Hello and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to let uh, listeners know that the Plan Plus Global Financial Planning Award has opened up its 2019 competition. For those of you unfamiliar with it, it is the only award that takes actual real-life casework that you've done for financial planning for real-life clients and puts it up against your peers. I highly encourage any practicing financial planner to participate in the process. I found that the feedback I got from participating was invaluable in bettering my practice. And as many of you know, I won the award three times and am no longer able to compete due to reaching the cap. So highly encourage everybody to get involved. The Canadian and Malaysian regional awards have opened up already. The global award is starting to take entries in late March, but nevertheless, visit planplusawards.com for details. So on today's show, and just so happens I have a financial planning guest. Today on the show, I have Dave Faulkner, CEO of RazorPlan. RazorPlan is a Canadian-based financial planning software. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dave. Thank you. Hello, Dave. Hello, Jason. Thanks for taking the time, and thanks for starting this the second time after I failed to hit the record button. <laughs> that's, that's okay. Thank, thank, I forgot to thank you for inviting me. Oh, no, my pleasure. So, Dave Faulkner of RazorLogic Systems, tell us about Razor. Well, RazorPlan is a comprehensive financial planning software program for um, financial advisors that are looking for something that is uh, not complicated, not complex mm -hmm. in its use or, or description to clients. It's for advisors who want to be able to do a financial plan in 15, 20 minutes, real time with the client's interaction mm -hmm. and get really quality results. I think the first one was better. <laughs> Are you okay? Go with the second I'm one? I'm good with it. Okay, that. we're going to go with the second one. So, all right. So tell us about your history. And this isn't your first kick of the can, but we can, uh, at financial planning software, we can go back further. So how far yeah. back? So, so to understand my history, we have to go back to 1993. Okay. 1993, a budget came out and it changed the way RIFs were calculated, the mm -hmm. RIF minimum. Previously, it was your age the difference between your age and age 90. Yeah. And then at age uh, 71, I believe they came up with a factor that cycled down to 20%. Mm -hmm. Budget came out six months later, no one, no financial planning firm had an illustrator. Mm. They couldn't illustrate it. Nobody could <laughs> illustrate it. So I was complaining to a friend of mine who said his brother was a wizard at spreadsheets and he wrote me a spreadsheet in Excel. Mm -hmm. I gave him the factors. He wrote me a spreadsheet in, in Excel. And uh, basically, I built two software companies out of that spreadsheet. <laughs> two software companies out of a spreadsheet. Okay. Out of a spreadsheet. The so, first one, yeah. I expanded that spreadsheet, taught myself how to uh, code in Excel. Yeah. And I built the first company, which is the software's FP Solutions. It yep. Originally financial planning solutions, but it was FP Solutions. Yeah, I used it previously. Yeah. yeah. And um, then having... After that was all done, about 2004, I finished dealings with the company that owned that program and uh, semi-retired at a way too early age, <laughs> spent all my money and had to go back to work, swore I would never design another software program or develop a software company again. How long did that value yourself basically hold true? It lasted from 2004 to about 2010. And then in 2010, I was um, uh, attending a conference and I was sitting at the back of the room trying to be invisible. And I was doodling on a piece of paper and I drew what I, what he, because the speaker was talking about financial planning and how financial planning should be done. And I, and I didn't agree with anything he said. <laughs> 
Fair enough. And, and so I drew this picture and I called it a suspension bridge. So, so just imagine a graph yep. with the line at the bottom mm -hmm. and put a line in the middle straight up. And so what I, what I envisioned was a program that would start from the middle line, which was the day you retired and first calculate what you needed to meet your goals. Mm -hmm. And then after we figured out what was required at retirement, start again at day one mm -hmm. and project forward. What did you need to do to meet the line in the middle? And it looked like a suspension bridge. Mm -hmm. And that is razor plan today. Fair enough. So we can dig into that. So, I mean, let's just go into that suspension breaks concept. So essentially what you're doing is it's almost your goals-based planning almost to start, but then your cash flow-based planning after the fact. To cash get flow to at retirement, goals-based prior to retirement. Yeah. Fair yes. enough. Okay. Interesting. So uh, in our previous iteration of this intro, uh, you had mentioned specifically that you tend to resonate a lot with uh, dual licensed advisors, which mm -hmm. in Canada typically means insurance and investments. Right. Uh, why is that? Like, what's the, what's the value you bring to that market? Well, probably because I entered the life insurance industry in 1978. <laughs> and so I've always been a life insurance advisor. I started knocking on doors with combined insurance for eight months years ago, selling little giants and then went to Prudential and they got bought out. And yeah, I've, I've done everything from regional manager with an insurance company to being a broker and so on and so forth. But I've never been a money an investment advisor. However, I understand investments and advise on what needs to be done, just not where to put it. And so everything I design in, in financial planning software looks at both retirement investments and insurance and estate planning. And one of the things I, I like to tell advisors who sell life insurance, and the one message is the easiest way to the life insurance sale is through the retirement plan. Start with retirement, help the client meet those goals, let them realize, well, you need to do the retirement plan to even determine what the tax problems are. Absolutely. How do you do and how do you understand yeah. needs for tax and estate liquidity if you haven't done a retirement plan? <laughs> you pick a number of thin air and hope, unfortunately. Well, yeah. And so um, everything that's designed, everything that we do just supports the total advice, the, the total need of the client, both for investments, savings, debt reduction, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, we try to support it all from cradle to grave. Yeah, and that's wise because, frankly, what you're saying is absolutely true. The assumptions towards any insurance need uh, needs analysis are basically built into the financial planning software, at least they should be. And a lot of times planning softwares will treat insurance as an afterthought mm -hmm. to, the, to the entire equation. And, you know, even the ones who are most guilty are the ones that are more consumer facing with very simple financial planning tools that are available to the oh, average five consumer. Five questions in yeah, five minutes five and questions. I'll give you a financial plan. Yeah, I know. And, you know, I honestly... Part of me wishes we had a body that could actually regulate what the minimum standard for a quote unquote financial plan is because totally agree. It's like you said, five questions and oh look, here's here's the thing that the local bank gave to someone who doesn't have any education in this and is gonna have someone fill it out. And now they have a financial plan because they're trying to say that or they're trying to provide the lowest minimum viable service to someone to make them check a box without really understanding that there's a difference between driving a beat up jalopy and driving a mm -hmm. Ferrari. Absolutely. Yeah. Better understanding leads to better advice. Yeah. And unfortunately, in this country, more so than the U.S., uh, the understanding of what a financial plan truly is and the work that can be done by a financial planner is pretty abysmal, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. So we'll get back to that. So a couple other things that you said that were kind of interesting. First of all, what about what that speaker was saying? Did you not like it when they were talking it's, about it's financial It's been a being? long, it's, <laughs> it's been a long time. 
I do a lot of industry event yeah. speaking. And sometimes they, I'm specifically requested mm -hmm. to talk about Razor Plan and what it does. And even in those situations, I try to refrain from commercials. And so instead, I will look at a problem or an issue and discuss the ideas. And Razor Plan can help explain those ideas. So the Which advisor is the way was, you should sell anything is show the, how it solves a problem yeah. before you solve, yeah. go and try to flaunt your. So word. the advisor was talking product. And it was, you know, insurance product and an investment product or something else. And the product solves all the problems. Great. So the plan was basically only a means to an end and not the actual solution in itself. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's advice first, product late. I, the first thing I, I the, first, <sighs> the first piece of advice from my doctor is not what I need to have cut into. Yeah. It's let's find out what's wrong with you. Absolutely. And you know, what's interesting, you know, in, and I've said the same thing before on, on this uh, podcast, in, in my process, essentially we first, we don't actually even let the clients transfer it over the assets until the financial plan and the IPS are in place. And, That's excellent. Well, thank you. And, and we charge upfront in order to get that done because frankly, I think you're not gonna do all that work without knowing mm -hmm. you're gonna get paid for it. And a couple of things, like, first of all, it differentiates because it shows that, wait a sec, everybody else is telling me to move the money over and then they'll do a financial plan for free. First of all, anyone who does a decent financial plan knows that's where the plan, that's where the real value is. Secondly, you're telegraphing to the client what it is that's important to you. The only thing you care about is the products you're going to sell and not the actual planning. And when we point that out to them, they understand fully, right? And it's like, you're right. Why is this guy going to, why was he even showing me a portfolio in our meeting that we had when he has no idea who I am, what I want out of life, where, what I own, all this, what I owe, all this stuff. So again, the problem is, is too often because we we get paid through, at least traditionally through the products we sell and everything else, we have let the cart go before the horse yeah. when it comes to planning and, and product. Well, one of, one of the biggest, looking at risk profile and risk tolerance, yep. the one thing that is missing from most risk tolerance analysis or mm -hmm. risk profiles is minimum rate of return required to meet your goal. Like <laughs> if the client yeah. does only needs to earn one yeah. percent yep. risk required, not even real yeah. rate of return, just one percent. Yep. They should understand that before or as part of the whole risk profile, because at the end of the day, the risk profile might be high. I have I yeah. have a an extremely high risk profile. Yeah. But what person. is your risk need? Yeah. Yes. But if, yeah, I want to know that you, you don't need to take risk. You yeah. can stick it all under a mattress. Oh, yeah. I and wrote I, an article on that years ago. It was, uh, it was called The Third Dimension of Risk. And I actually was a funny because it was funny because I was at a venture capital firm yesterday talking about how they're really eager to get into um, plays that involve accumulation because of the, you know, the baby boomer generation. I said, you know. I agree, and I'm very familiar with this space based on academics that I'm friends with and, and, and just their everyday job. But the most powerful thing that we tell clients is our minimum rate of return calculation. Mm -hmm. And when we basically say to them, hey, you know what? Not only does this plan works, but it works. We have a lot of affluent clients. In a lot of cases, it works as zero, mm -hmm. right? And it oh, I've, changes. I've seen the, many of those, zero. Yeah, yeah, it changes the conversation entirely, especially when you're trying to convince them that maybe they shouldn't be taking that kind of risk in their retirement. You know, when you show them that they don't need it and they could literally just live under the world's biggest mattress, changes the conversation. But you're right. That is, I wouldn't say it's a, yeah, it's, you know, we're always, we're, the focus is on, let's, let's call let's calculate your risk tolerance as opposed to your risk need. And you can only ever really do that risk need if you do proper planning. Well, the other thing is I have three sons, six grandchildren, and maybe I do want to give some of my money away. 
Maybe if, if I don't need it. Yeah. What's the excess capital? If I have a ton of excess capital, which yeah. I don't, but if I did, yeah. and I only need a 2% rate of return, or maybe I want to take a vacation. Or anyway, yeah. all I'm saying is it becomes understanding. Yeah. How can you truly create a financial plan or yeah. make a financial planning recommendation to a client unless you really understand the client? Yeah. And how can they make an informed decision unless they understand Everything. I said, it makes perfect sense. And I'll tell you, we, we were in a situation many times where we're like, okay, so we can either give this away at death or we can start giving away part of it now. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, they most parents love that. Absolutely love that, right? But it's also counterintuitive because the incentives are all backwards. But on the flip side, yeah. you also need to be able to, to know when the parents should not give money. Well, oh yes, no. The the passing on of intergenerational wealth is a massive thing that obsesses, that I'm very obsessed with actually. I've talked to many very successful families who pulled it off with obscene amounts of money, just trying to understand that. And yeah, there's been been cases where it's just like, look, they're not responsible for it now, they're not responsible for it with the money. Well, I mean pre-death, giving it away and you can't afford to. Oh, that, no, in terms of, oh, absolutely not. No, it's gotta be, you know, again, it's gotta be, we'll call excess capital or capital uh, as estate, right. estate li- capital. So mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that you're able to basically put these things together, these plans together effectively in 10 in 15 to 20 minutes. Now, you know, for how anyone- do I do that? Well, how I'm gonna ask that? how I do it, but I wanna point out, first of all, this is not some five questionnaire, no. get it done quickly. No. This is this no. is still comprehensive planning. So tell me how you accomplish comprehensive planning inside of, in under 20 minutes. 80-20. <laughs> Good answer, Pareto principle. Yeah, so, well, yeah. it's simple. I mean, 20% of the client's information produces 80% of their financial yeah. analysis. And so that's where you start. Just capture the 20% high value information. Mm-hmm. And so we've identified that high value information. And that's the first questionnaire. And it takes about 15 minutes, start to finish, including insurance, to gain a big picture and an understanding of the situation. And then afterwards, once the client engages, Once they're engaged, once they sign your engagement letter, agree to your terms and Mm -hmm. fees, and once we know it's a good fit, then you have to start looking at that other 80% of information, exactly where are all the investments and the little things or the big budget analysis or whatever you need. It's the other 80%, it will produce another bit of improvement and, and gain. But you can gain an awful lot if you choose your questions correctly. Absolutely. So, so that's how we do it. And is that, so does the name come from Occam's Razor? Is this what this is? Occam's Razor. Occam's Razor. Yeah. Called it. Simplest yeah. explanation yeah. is usually the correct yeah. one. You hear your your hoofprints. It's probably a horse, not a zebra. The uh, <laughs> the original name. I I was actually we were calling it Occam's or Occam this. No or, spelling. And it yeah. just it's, it's just we uh, we ended on. It was originally called the Razor. I remember that. But and out. Um, the advisors using our software always referred to it as Razor Plan, never as the Razor. So we rebranded. There you after go. about eighteen months. Well, it makes sense. I mean, they're gonna remember it that way. You may as well do it. So let's talk about some of the. Occam's razor features you've put in that I've seen. So from what I can see, besides the input, well, going through the input, you make a lot of kind of baseline assumptions in terms of once the input goes in, you're kind of carrying the ball for the advisor and make capacities. Can you speak to some of that? Okay. So a couple of things we do. First off, as a financial advisor, in my previous life Mm -hmm. with FP Solutions, you you were doing a lot of what ifs. Yes. So the client says, what if I do this? 
what if I do that? Yeah. But realistically, all the what ifs come down to four what ifs. How much do I spend? When do I retire? Rate of return and amount of savings. Those are the key four variables, yeah. Four variables. So the first thing that Razor Plan does is we automatically calculate the answer to all four questions. We're just done. You hit calculate, we run a base, and then painfully, each of the questions, we grind it out. It's not heuristic. It's not a present value formula. Mm -hmm. It is ground out. Literally iteration. Iterative, grinding it out. Can't do it any other way because there's no, there isn't an average anything because everything is a moving target. There's too many variables. So, so we answer those four questions. So if I'm sitting with a client and the client says, oh, you know, you're, you're going to run out of money at age 82. Well, what if I work a little longer? How long do I need to work? I have the answer. How much do you need to save? What's the reduction? And so on and so on and so forth. So that's the first thing we do. The other thing is 80% of the time, the most efficient way to draw down your assets, and I read lots of stuff on drawdown strategies, the most efficient way is because remember, a financial plan is assuming most of the time you assume longevity. Yes. Well, you have You're to, living right? to 90, plan 95. So because of that, spending tax-deferred dollars last because they're compounding at a greater rate mm-hmm. will produce a higher income or longer term. So generally speaking, the drawdown order mm-hmm. is pretty straightforward. If you have to take it out, RIF minimums, yeah. Lira minimums, they come first. Yeah. The next thing that comes out is if you have corporate investments yeah. and you have investment income and yeah. RDTOH, you are better off to declare a dividend, pull down to get the yeah. RDTOH back. Yes. And then it's non-registered. Once non-registered is done, it's TFSA. Once the TFSA is done, jumps back yeah. to the corporate investments, pulls out over and above without yeah. any, and then ends up on the RSP extra withdrawals later. Now, keep in mind, that's just Calc 1. The advisor has the ability, we call them drill downs. So that's part of the other 80% though. So on the first, the 80-20 rule, on the first rule, we just use this withdrawal order. Mm-hmm. Now we're, we're I'm adding some tweaks. So because advisors want to switch from registered to mm-hmm. RSP non-register. So I'm, we're adding that in the next release, uh, yeah. uh, some control over the automated. I mean, there, yeah, I mean, it's a simplified way, but I mean, uh, to me, I would, the only argument I would say is it also is but somewhat this, tax dependent, right? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, harvest, no. taking advantage of lower tax rates when you're available to you, huge advantage. Yes, but less than you would think in the big picture. So yes, you can improve it, but do you need to have it absolutely perfect and optimized in the first yeah, and, 15 minute calc or and, you and need we, it close. Yeah. And in reality, I mean, we project, I think we discussed this offline, you know, we project these things, we figure them out in advance, but I'm sorry, it's determined every year. Like end of the day. Right. That's the other thing. Know, we, it's January and, and December. 45 years yeah. old, retiring at 65. Yeah. Why are we yeah. bothering yeah. to figure out the absolute best Draw down yep. order twenty years in advance when all the rules will have changed. So, <laughs> so razor, yeah, lots of razor eighty twenty program. Yep. We get very close, and the difference is very low. You will have more impact on the ultimate financial plan by changing the interest rate by a quarter of a percent rather than, than trying to modify the withdrawal order. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll you know we'll spend the time to clear that up clearly, quickly. 
And as I always tell clients, end of the day, the longer out this plan goes, the more likely it's going to be wrong simply because life does not work in a straight line. So frankly, and that's, that's one reason life insurance and retirement planning and have a hard time coexisting in the same analysis is because life insurance assumes something goes wrong along the way, assumes yeah. that you die early yeah. and retirement planning assumes you live a long time. Yeah. And it's very difficult to make these two opposing bookends of financial advice coexist in a single it's, analysis. I think it's how you, yeah, but I think it's how you frame it. I think, I think going into it and just in our own process, we do not do the full, we don't do not provide the full insurance analysis. We deliver the financial plan. We're like, this is the optimal. The insurance conversation is had around a conversation about risk, not just on life, but on you know disability, critical illness, all kinds of stuff that we, we will touch upon. And it's a it's always framed around the conversation of, okay, that's what happens if everything goes right. Let's talk about what happens if things go wrong. Right. Right. And then when you finish it up, you then insert it into the financial plan, look at the that impact. Of course. Add a scenario, yeah. flip a switch. Yeah. There is somebody no, dies. Ex, well, even even that, like, I mean, the reality is, is that if you assume they live to 95, there is no insurance solution short of a tax sheltering one that is going to improve any scenario whatsoever because of the negative outflow. Right. Like mm -hmm. if I add disability insurance, critical illness, guaranteed, if you the live plan long is going to look worse. Right. If you live long yeah. enough, every insurance policy will have been better to invest the premiums if you live long, if you enough. Live long enough and okay. you don't lose the premium. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's basically it, it's not going to look as good as the first one in most cases, because I'm still showing you the optimal scenario. But now you know if something goes wrong on the way, that scenario still becomes a reality, uh, even without the assumption of income coming in. So a couple other things too I wanted to point out or discuss. So in terms of your reporting, at the end of the process, you have this kind of iteration or this last screen that you use for testing different scenarios. I thought that was quite well put together and was very dynamic in that as you said, that can be done in front of the client. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of softwares say that's the sort of thing that can be done, but I think you've actually kind of nailed something that's really kind of in-person friendly. Can you speak to how that works? Once the data is entered, yeah. um, so everything starts out with what we call the base scenario, yep. baseline. And you hit calculate, we go to the chart area. Mm -hmm. We have some really inventive screen names. We call them the charts. Um, <laughs> and anyway, so there's a cash flow. Yep. Chart, assets, risk tolerance, taxation, and um, uh, the retirement options. And so there's these five screens that at a glance, from an advisor's perspective, when you look at it, you know exactly what the problems and or opportunities are. Mm -hmm. One of the things we do is we calculate minimum required income producing assets at all points in time. Hmm. So we've given that the very creative title of blue line because it's a blue line on the chart. But at a glance, anything above the blue line is excess. Anything below the blue line needs mm -hmm. to be protected and preserved. You need that to meet your minimum lifestyle requirement. Absolutely. The important part, particularly for business owners, because I, I still do a little bit of uh, consulting work and, and fee-for-service mm -hmm. financial planning with um, business owners, and they tend to have a lot of fixed assets, they have business assets, corporate, real estate, and so on and so forth. So the problem isn't how big a pile of net worth they have at retirement. The problem is it's the wrong kind. It's not liquid. And so the analysis instantly shows that you have a net worth when you retire of $8, 10000000 million, but you have a liquidity problem of $2.5 million. And it's just right there. It's just 
there. And so the question isn't save more, or acquire more assets. It's what are we going to do with this liquidity problem? Are you going to pass the business over to your children and let them run it and pay you dividends? That mm -hmm. could work yep. unless they run it into the ground. Are you looking to liquidate something? Are you going to sell something? Are you reverse mortgage something? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. So the software is all designed to foster conversation. And the conversation is so that I can discover and learn more so I can get better advice. Absolutely. So one of the things that I really liked about your first software, and you clearly followed with, the, um, with some of the design of this one, is that it was very easy to kind of audit on the fly as you were doing things because the charts were showing up as you entered in numbers. Right? Mm -hmm. And I find that you clearly have a very visual style that you don't spend a lot of time, even in the, the full financial plan, you don't spend a lot of time on preamble and a lot of extra text. You jump in right to the graphs and to the data. You want to speak to those decisions and why those are made altogether? Well, what, what you're looking at is our newest edition, which is our focused planning concepts. And we develop these to compare two scenarios graphically in front of the client because you want to be able to show the client the impact of a recommendation depending upon what they want. And so we, we discovered that every financial planning strategy developed in the past, present, and to be developed in the future will fall into one of six categories, financial management, investment management, risk management, mm -hmm. tax planning, retirement planning, or estate planning. So every strategy that's ever been developed. It falls concept, into a module. Call it, I mean, let's just talk about the granddaddy of all concepts, the estate bond, okay? It is an estate planning focused strategy. That's it. Yep. And so the other problem, the problem you have with an integrated financial plan, a strategy to maximize retirement income, will have a negative impact on a state value. Of course. Bottom line. Yeah. So Consumption if, takes away from what's left over at the end of the day. So if the client's primary goal is maximizing, spending as much money as possible and leaving a minimum or a minimum amount of a state, if I compare that to two scenarios, I'm going to, yes, I may show an improvement on income, but I'll show negative results on the estate value mm -hmm. one way or the other. And so it, it deflects from the goal that the focus the client wanted. So we developed the focus planning to focus on. So if it's retirement planning, we don't talk about estate value mm -hmm. or net worth. We talk about income producing assets. And to enable analysis around Canada pension old age security, we present value those two items and we bring them in their present value of their future income. Because how else can you, um, well, if, if all you're doing is looking at RSP value, drawing your RSP early and deferring your Canada pension will have a negative impact on net worth or yes. on, on investment value. So you have to, but not Honestly, if you present value, but not if you present value CPP. Because now I've deferred it from 60 to age 70. Mm -hmm. I've had the enhancements and everything else. And when I present value that future income starting at age 70, living to age 95, I have a whole new dynamic and actually show better value. It makes more sense. And if the client has no pensions, no guaranteed income, yeah. they're risk adverse and yeah. they're, they're, you're assuming 4%, but God, defer CPP. Yeah, it's, it's funny. You stumbled upon one of my biggest pet peeves in, in financial media is the early versus late debate 
and how overly- It should never have anything to do with if you die and you don't get your fair share. It's, well, it, it, well, I mean, life expectancy does matter. I'd say that much, yes. Only if Only you if, know your yeah. life expectancy is- Yes, if you're- Less. If you're, if you're deaf, yeah, you never know that, but I think there's, yeah, the common indicators uh, that exist. Overweight, diabetes. Yeah. yeah, all of that. Cancer now, survivor. But it just seems like the focus, but again, there's, there's lots of trade-offs, right? There's taxation issues, there's alternative assets, there's what other guaranteed income streams do you have? There's the focus on larger estate versus non longer versus, versus small because you can't leave CPP behind. It's it's an interesting one. And it's one of these things where I really, I think there's too many nuances for someone to do the article right in conventional media, but it's, it just- It's only right yeah. for a single example. Well, exactly. And, and when I hear people say, well, yeah, but you're getting like an 8%, whatever the deferral benefit is, like 8% return. Mm -hmm. It's not a return. You can't eat that return. You're getting a, you're getting an enhancement to future, to future income. But if you died at 71, that return is literally zero. So Correct. it's just this complicated, you know, we, we, the common public and the financial media like simple answers and simple rules of thumb, and there isn't one. And they get frustrated when there's not, and they start putting out stuff that just doesn't make enough sense. So, well, and, uh, and it's funny you say that because there's an article about two weeks ago that really pissed me off. But well, it's, uh, well, I, yeah. I read it. I, okay. So in a different frame, I read an article about drawing RSP first. Yep and leaving your non-registered until later would give you at age 84. In this example, it, there was an extra $70,000 worth of estate value. And I, I go, okay, yeah, I, I buy it. Wow, at age 84. Yeah, but, so, but, but here's the thing. If the focus is on yeah. estate value, yeah. and if you, okay, yeah. if that's the focus, okay. But if you switch it. Yeah. Because I built the case. Yes. I build these cases and I run them, and then I've got full intentions of writing some article. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I'm the same. because I have of 12 who I am, articles. <laughs> I I, yeah. I don't publish the article. I never produce it. But in this case, so I ran the scenario the other way around. Yeah. Okay. And yes, exactly right. There was seventy four thousand less estate at age eighty four, and I was planning to age ninety five. I think. Okay. And absolutely. But you know what the difference was? Drawing the RSP first, the income goal stated, let's just say it was 60,000 a year in yeah. today's dollars. That was the maximum income that person could draw. When I flipped it around, spending the 60,000, yes, there was 70,000 less estate, but the maximum sustainable income went from 60,000 to 68,000. You could actually spend more money when you ignored the estate. Yeah, because and the estate takes- how much the, yeah. life insurance could I buy with an extra $8,000 yeah. well, a year? And it, it makes perfect sense when you think about it because you have larger deferred assets, right? And then the estate, and when the estate calculation, that takes a massive hit on death, but it mm -hmm. doesn't take a massive hit while you're alive because you're spreading that over time. A dollar of interest yep. attracts the exact same amount of tax as, as a dollar, dollar withdrawn as a dollar withdrawn from an RSP. That's true. So, yeah. so it depends on the focus. So that's why we, when I'm talking to advisors and talking about financial planning, it's about focus. What is the client's focus? And that's all you have but to You also remember. hit on something else, which is the lack of empirical evidence used in this industry. People live by rules of thumb. People come up with a concept, but do they test the reverse? They test 84. Well, congratulations, 84. Okay, so that's life expectancy for someone at 65, roughly, roughly around there. That's 50% of people living beyond that yes. point, yes. right? What was the number at 95, right? What was the number at 90? What was the number at all these different points in between, right? Because what the person, what the, what the crossover point was 86. That doesn't make sense. And it's just, I shudder to think like, okay, you, you, you did some work, you got an answer. That, that's not science. You have to test the hypothesis. It's what really matters to your client Absolutely. should drive 
all advice. Absolutely. Because it's never the same answer yeah. for two people. But you should also scenario test those things to ensure that essentially your premise is not false and that there isn't something else that's very much in front of you, like that example, where it could have been equally beneficial. And they'll even mm -hmm. flip that around and say, okay, would that $8,000 difference have covered the insurance policy to cover that $70,000 amount? And you better believe it's it would. Many times over. Many times over. They could have taken 3,000, bought oh, yeah. the $70,000 of joint last to die, and then taken the 5,000 to Cancun every yeah, year. Yeah. yeah, and you know, we've all had those scenarios where the people were like, look, I want to spend as much money as possible, I want to leave the largest, but I want to maintain the principal because I want that as an estate. It's like, here's a better idea. Let's just buy an insurance policy for the value you have now, you pay this much, and you can consume twice as much along the way. Right? It's just, it is what, whatever's what, important to them. What really matters to you. Exactly. That's the answer. What exactly. should, which, if you could only express one goal to me, yeah. what, what would is that it? goal be? I need to know what the golden rule yeah. is. We have a golden rule. It's the 15 minute rule. If I can't get to good answers and discussions in 15 minutes, it doesn't work. It's a 15 minute rule. So as for the client, what is the one rule? What is that rule? And I've had people say, well, I want to spend as much as I can and be damn my kids. Other people say, yep. you know, my kids, our family is everything and we're not going to spend a dime yep. if I don't think, you know, if it'll hinder them. And it's just whatever floats your boat. Absolutely. So there's no wrong answers. There isn't. I mean, and that's, you know, I often say that it's funny how many people get don't seek out proper financial advice for fear of judgment when really this job should not be about judgment. It should be about giving them whatever they want, regardless of what it is. So we've been, we've been at it for over half an hour. So I'm going to give you my wrap up questions and uh, get you sure. to think for a bit. So if you had one wish as to something you can change in the industry, what would it be? And that can be either the financial planning software industry, the financial planning industry, whatever you want to call it. If, if I had one wish and, and I wish that every financial advisor, whether you're a financial planner, CFP, whether you sell only insurance, mm -hmm. mutual funds, I, I don't care what it is because at the end of the day, we all do good if the alternative is the client did nothing. But the, the my one wish would be everybody would do a proper financial analysis just to get a big picture understanding, mm -hmm. walk in their shoes. It's the only way you can do it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't care which software program you use, have at it, doesn't matter, except it has to have at least a minimum standard yes. of quality, competence, yeah, whatever it might competence. be. Absolutely. You know, you can't use an average or a marginal tax rate. Yeah. Oh, God, I no. mean, but pure goals based without consideration for cash on table stakes today. When I, when yeah. I wrote FP solutions, only program that ran a T1 tax. I remember that. I remember that. And, and so, so but it's all the time. table stakes today. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it's you not have even to run complicated. that. But you're, you're right. And, and frankly, I mean, we could go go on for hours about various large financial institutions and the defaults that they force people to use. And, you know, mm -hmm. you know, certain things like RIFs have to have to go to 71. Uh, they cannot, there's no other option. Or you only can start CPP at 65 or, God, uh, rates of return that are just nonsensical. Mm -hmm. and straight line for their entire life. Like no, no stress testing, no nothing. It's, it's just bizarre. And really all it does is as much as they think it's a service to the client, it's a massive disservice to give them something that gives them terribly false information. So the next question I have for you is what were the biggest challenges you faced in uh, starting and running this company? Because there were many, right? <laughs> there, there were there were lots, but yeah. but the biggest one. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't um, lack of capital. Yeah, mm -hmm. we had no capital. We grew organically. Mm -hmm. We still have, there's no VC money in our company. There's not a lot of VC oh, money in financial planning software we, altogether. <laughs> um, 
I mean, we beat all the odds, whether it was, you know, getting to the first 10,000 a month of reoccurring revenue or the first 100,000 a month of reoccurring revenue. Mm -hmm. We beat all the odds. The biggest challenge, (laughs) my son, my son's going to get mad because we had this conversation today and I'm basically going to steal it from because it's a really good analogy. Well, you credit it for it. Credit it to him. It's the, um, I'm going to say it's, I'm going to come up with a unique term for it. I'm going to say it's like the subwoofer effect. All right. So I believe you have recently ordered or you're taking delivery on your Tesla. Are you buying a Tesla? Oh, yeah. I got them all three. It's like, uh, yeah, it's 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 just waiting for my lease to expire on the current car before I do the military. Okay. 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 So here's the problem. And Tesla doesn't have this problem, but other cars have in the past. But here's the problem. There's this fantastic piece of technology. It's all about efficiency and mm-hmm. automation. It does all kinds of wonderful things. You know, if somebody phones up and asks, you know, does it have a fireplace? The answer is yes. It, you know, it does wonderful mm-hmm. things. But we get the odd time. Does your software do this, which would be the equivalent of, does your Tesla sound like a muscle car when you step on the gas? Yeah. Okay. And there are electric yeah. cars right now that pump the sound of an engine through a speaker. Oh yeah. So that you get the feel that you're driving the, uh, a muscle well, car. Well, the, the electric Harley actually makes the sound of a jet engine taking off because yeah. people were not used to the lack of noise. So we don't have the noise. We don't have yeah. the sound of the engine. And so we get requests like, the question is, that's one of our biggest challenges. We've created this, yeah. this ultimate tool of efficiency. But people want to deal with every is, last scenario. Can it do this? Yeah. One little thing. Or can it do this or that or yeah. something else? And the question isn't, the question should be, why do you need it to sound like a muscle car? Yep. No, I know. What would it do for you? Well, it's again, we'll go back to the 820. We may have to edit that whole section out. No. <laughs> Why? Because you don't want to complain about advisors. No, but the honest truth is, it, but it's true. I mean, the, you know, the, uh, it's again back to the 8020 room, the Pareto principle. The 80% of most of the, you know, a basic financial planning software will probably cover 80% of what needs to be done. That other 20%, trying to capture that, you will spend as much time programming that 20% as you did the 80, if not more so, because now you're getting into the most esoteric little minor mm-hmm. strategies possible that maybe there's a market for uh, you know 10,000 people in the country for something like that. And, or 1,000. Or 1,000 or, or, or one, right? And you know what? Maybe you're the one advisor who's specialized in that one niche and therefore it is mission critical to you, but that's not everybody. And frankly, when you start getting, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to say this, I'm kind of guilty of the same. When I compared softwares in the past, I had my checklist, right? Now, I knew none of them were going to hit everything, everything that I had, but there were mission critical things that had to happen. So it's- But uh, that was specific to your practice, exactly. your style, your everything. That's we it. used to, we also used to use the analogy that was, um, the Simpsons had an episode where I believe Marge was at the Quickie Mart and had two heaping grocery baskets full of groceries or carts, two heaping carts full of groceries and um, went up to the checkout and requested that all her groceries be placed in a single bag, but the bag should not be heavy. <laughs> so, oh, so the yeah. point, the yeah. thing, the point is we make it simple, yeah. quick, fast and easy, but it should do everything and but, it should be cheap. But the problem is <laughs> yeah. 
when does it do this? It's like, no, because that would make the bag heavy and you don't want the bag heavy. And so, no, we didn't do it. For years, I wouldn't put life insurance into our software. Why is that? Because Because it made the bag heavy. Yes. You can't add life insurance values easily. I mean, it's do this, go over to another program, <laughs> yeah. calculate, export, copy, paste, enter, repeat. And yeah. So on. Yeah. But, but we yeah. solved that problem because we just got rid of the illustration software. We wrote our own illustration engine, populated <laughs> it with our own cost of insurance tables. That's one way to do it. I mean, you're not going to be 100% accurate to every insurance policy, but if you're 95% of the way there, then what's We don't now? represent one policy, we represent them all. Yeah. And so the point now is in that 15-minute interview with our 15-minute golden rule, yeah. you can incorporate permanent life insurance, cash values, renewing term, anything yeah. with two clicks of the mouse using it as generic illustration. You can prove that it works or doesn't work. You can define the face amount, the premium uh, funding amount, the overfunding, a rate of return. You yeah. can do it all. And then you know exactly the parameters to enter into Manulife, Canada Life, Equitable yeah. Life. So you flipped the entire proposition. Matter. You basically created the basic, the, uh, not the needs and assessment, but the illustration engine or the concept, the, the, the tool that they're using to sell it is no longer the illustration. It's your software. And then the yeah. illustration is the execution of that. Right. And so right. then, yeah, later you just run the illustration, export, and import yeah. it. But you only have to do it once because you know exactly the parameters you're importing. Yeah. Now, this will even get better in the future when I convince a few life insurance companies to give me APIs. Okay. If you saw my face right now, people, you'd be laughing because it's just not going to happen. It actually is going to happen. Well, it's going to happen. The question is, how many gray hairs do I have by the time it does? I mean, it's going to happen much quicker than you think. Well, I I, I don't know. I've talked to I've talked to people who've actually been in charge of this sort of thing. They're like, don't hold your breath. Companies Uh, are going cloud. They are going cloud, but they're going when they go cloud. There's the opportunity. So they're getting their feet wet is what I'll say. They've started getting Mm -hmm. their feet wet. They -hmm. all started getting their feet wet with a little, started initially with illustration software with some of them, Mm -hmm. not all of them, but even, I mean, very few of them actually have their entire suite available on the cloud at this point. No, but they'll have some. They then moved all, they've all been forced to move into the application stage, which makes sense because it's the most friction you have in the entire uh, value proposition. Uh, And now they're moving into digital delivery and all that. So yeah, I do believe that those systems will slowly start to build out. And on new issue software, will we see an API that allows us to extend that stuff? That's more likely to happen than say, being able to access legacy policies. It's, uh, you know, when I laugh, I start thinking about, you know, my my true goal. I mean, Well, legacy policies, you do it, you just do an import. You just do you, import, you, you import it yeah. in, or or I actually. But if we're talking can, about the joke about insurance, insurance APIs, it's like, oh, can I get the information on the forty-year-old policy? It's like, no, it's going to be three days because we got to go take up the old computer and make sure the vacuum tube but still Jason, works. Jason, I solved all that problem too from a statement without being the agent of record. Yeah. All I need is the face amount, yeah. the policy fee, and the cost of insurance. And what we do is the illustrator. We created the illustrator so you could enter the cost of insurance and the factors. Mm-hmm. And I can reproduce to the penny an mm-hmm. in-force illustration in seconds. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's all... No, it's, it's not. It's, it's actual math. math. It's just <laughs> it's, math. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, the APIs to insurance are going to come quicker than you think because when the first insurance company is loaded into a software program with an easy button where it can quote that company 
at the drop of a hat just by pushing a button where all the parameters go out from the illustration software. So forget about a static $5,000 premium. How about a life insurance policy that's tied to excess cash flow where over and above, so it's not just excess cash flow, yep. it's excess cash flow that can't go into the TFSA. And what's left over yep. is then push to the insurance and then comes back again. Oh yeah, and I've had this that hypothetical kind of conversation with various people in the industry about things like variable variable face uh, life insurance that would be basically dynamically changing based on your actual need in any given year. Because mm -hmm. you know your cash flows, you know you scrape data aggregation, look at your cash flows, look at the progress on the financial plan, you're behind this year because you know your kids need a brace or whatever it was, the insurance stays higher than the years that you pay off extra debt and it moves along. And yeah, these things are all, I think it's, yeah, it will definitely happen sooner than I think when it comes to new issue insurance, it's the existing stuff. No, no, I mean, I mean, and it, what I find tragic is that, frankly, there's policies being issued now today by many companies that are still on legacy systems that are still not going to be that are not going to be accessible anytime soon. So, frankly, you yeah. can solve that problem too. It's just a little more complicated. Every problem can be solved. To legislation. Hmm. Change the legislation. Mm -hmm. Now you pick my okay. Now you pick my attention. What's uh, well? It's sort of a concept I have, but I don't necessarily think I should talk about it because I might. Well, no one's maybe listening. It'll protect it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, the the solution with these old policies is simple. It's self-directed life insurance that can take any company's life insurance policy into it. Like I can do a self-directed RSP and have fifteen different investments in. Why do I need one, an MTAR attached to one policy? Why can't I have an MTAR attached to five policies? So you basically allow, you're basically creating a custodial platform whereby I've got uh, three old policies. Yeah. I'm just going to push you them, roll them into, into one. You roll them into yeah. one, that one. Yeah. And again, they get the. Uh, and they all create the MTAR. And yeah. how be, how be I use that MTAR and I invest not in any of those policies, just into money? in the self-directed insurance route. Yeah, it's interesting. I think you still have issues because, I mean, they still got to pass along data in terms of return data and and uh, dividend data. But that's an interesting idea. The, the issue is the same reason that I can't sell a client's policy who is terminal and he wants some money. Well, viaticals in Canada, that's not, yeah. The structured settlements and viaticals are not available in Canada for our US listeners. They are in the US though. So last question, what is it that excites you the most about what is you're working on, the industry, the changes you see, what gets you up out of bed in the morning to keep doing what you're doing? What excites me the most? I should have been prepared for some of these questions, Jason. Well, you told me you listened to the podcast, so I, I this did. is the clear. <laughs> um, it's just, I, I know it's, we're changing. We're moving away from product towards advice. And that excites me the most because product's never going away. There's some means to an end, not the ends themselves. Well, that's right. But it's more and more advisors are embracing advice and their value is based on advice. And I just see good things coming from that. And I, and I also see the different financial institutions that I deal with and talk to. They're talking advice. Yeah. I'll put a plug out to Industrial Alliance. I'm actually participating in some uh, roadshow of theirs. And the whole thing, it's just talk about the value of advice. Don't talk about product. They want their advisors to understand that their advice is valuable. And there's no technology that will, will replace the advice. It will make the advice easier to give. And it'll make the product more affordable. But your advice will always be valued at whatever it is worth.
It's interesting. There was a recent quote I put up on um, LinkedIn from Carl Richards in a piece he did with Michael Kitsis. And it was something to the effect of bringing it up right now. So the, the paradox I see is that never before has there been less value in the industry's advice and never before has there been higher value in real financial planner or advisor's advice. I've never seen such a disconnect between those two. And his, his entire thing is basically what he means by that is it's the conventional advice of what fund you buy or what risk tolerance you have, or like the stuff that a robo advisor can literally do in five minutes and onboard you. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the value proposition back in the day used to be access to information, access to markets, access to knowing you know the guidance into those simple things, where frankly, those are now table stakes exercises done in a couple of minutes. That stuff, advisors still holding themselves out as being that is their value proposition, that is not a future no, that, that they're not. going to be able to sustain. Like that, it's just it's something that is flawed because it can be done better. And I see advisors get morally threatened or just like basically fundamentally threatened by the existence of robo advisors. And if you are, it's because that's where you see your value. And frankly, guess what? It just got commoditized. The opposite side, and what he said about <laughs> yeah. the higher value in real financial planning, is that I mean, look at the world. Look at the taxation issues we have in this country. Look at look at the, the just the number of ways you can organize. You've seen it. The number of ways you can you can tinker things in a financial plan to create better outcomes and have better knowledge and actually get people what they really want out of life, as opposed to worrying about all this stuff, all the product, all the numbers. Like that value, we don't have a world full of DB pension plans anymore where we know we're going to get the mm -hmm. check no matter what. People need to be responsible for themselves and people need advice on that. So I agree with you on that. And and the thing is what robo or digital platforms can do, they can do because there's no developing these, these portfolios. There's not an unlimited number of variables where yeah. advising Bill and Mary Smith compared to John and Betty Jones and they're... Advice has unlimited variables and every person yep. is different. It's, it's like you cannot have a rule of thumb for when to take CPP oh. or OA. You can have a checklist and I published a checklist that created flags. Do not start CPP if you answer yes to any of these eight questions yep. without seeking advice and having an analysis done. Exactly. Because it might be, I'm not saying it will, but it might be the worst decision you've ever made. So you can know when advice is needed, but the interaction, it requires more information, it requires data, it requires the person. And real advice, it's not something that can be done with an algorithm. Nope. So I don't, for example, robo planning, robo planners, these ask a few questions and I'll build you a financial plan and it'll, you know, it'll cost you thousands. Yeah. Wrong. It's, you're not, you haven't got a plan. You have, you're a calculator. That's, yeah. And you've calculated a few variables. I, I will say that for a segment of the market that couldn't get advice otherwise, it's better than nothing. I will say that I've had this debate with others. I mean, I don't necessarily, I agree. I think that there should almost be almost a different name to it. There should be like a light in front of it or something. And I, I think that the value that, but we, have to, we have to deal with the, with the issue of access to information first. Like that is a core issue. And right now the way the AUM world works is quite frankly that you need to have a certain threshold before you get mm -hmm. that kind of advice. And until we start moving away and experimenting with in Canada with think with other models like flat fee and with even some other concepts I've seen like you know pooled uh, grouped RS, uh, grouped uh, planning work with with uh, in a group session or percentage of income models or other percentage of models it's just not going to happen and it's much more common in the states you see these experiments happening more and more in the U.S. but and you're starting to see them happen here but we need to find ways to deliver this level level of service or the right level of financial planning service down to that market before we start saying. And we shouldn't be using those calculators, in my opinion. It's a less than perfect world. What can I say? 
I got to be careful sometimes. <laughs> um, you can, when you can be less careful when you advice, yeah. the one area where there, there needs to be a ton of improvement to access is financial management. Because mm. very few financial advisors are good at offering advice on financial management. Okay, well, let's, budget, let's take a step back. How to budget. Let's be pay honest. Pay off your debts because there's no product. There's no revenue well, behind let, it. Let's be honest, right? So what are most people call themselves financial advisors or planners? They are product salespeople or they are people who think that they're portfolio managers or any number of other things. And they sell that one experience. And this is one of the reasons why the, the term financial planning needs to be properly regulated. Yeah. Because yeah. it needs to mean something. It needs to mean, but hey, I, I'm, I'm going to- I know financial advisors and I use the term advisors. Yeah. I know a lot of them. I interact with them all the time. And the vast majority of them try to do good. Absolutely. They're they're trying. But if, you know, you you meet a a young couple or, or, and and you only, you sell one, one company's insurance and one company's investments, that's all you have access to. And if the client doesn't want to look further and they meet and they hit it off, well, that advisor is still doing good for that one client. Could that advisor with more resources, more access to information and product and whatnot do better? Yeah. Could the client get maybe slightly better value if they interviewed 15 different advisors, but they don't have the time. So the vast majority of advisors, whether they call them advisors or financial planners, try to do good. They they are helping. There are a few bad apples that do harm. There are, but I also think the problem is the incentive systems in this industry are completely backwards in many ways, and they do not lend themselves towards the maintenance of in-depth financial planning relationships. They lend themselves to, I mean, look at the numbers on average number of households per advisor in this country. It's about 375. The Dunbar number alone, which says you can't maintain more than 150 relationships, proves that you can't have any kind Mm -hmm. of deep relationship with those clients. Subtract out friends, family, anyone else you know that you want to maintain a relationship with, you better be dealing with less than 100 households at most. Yet, meanwhile, the number's the other way. And when you listen to some of these discussions about technology, allowing clients to better, advisors to better leverage their practices, it's leveraging the wrong way. It's leveraging to maintain more and more clients as opposed to maintaining the right number of clients. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I agree with you that there's, even in the limited set, and I always say this, there's good advisors everywhere, even in the worst constraints. But there's need for change in order to make but, those constraints less. But, but a mid thirty young couple with yeah. nothing, just starting out, and a baby, and a and they need a some term insurance. Bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they need to deal with an advisor that deals with five hundred of those clients. Yeah. Because the only way the advisor can afford to pay their bills yeah. and grow their practice and mature in their practice. So is let's, to deal let's differentiate with the term hundred families. And this is where the this is where the terminology hurts us, right? As long as that person is holding them out, themselves out as dealing with that issue specifically, no problem. If you're mm-hmm. holding yourself out as a comprehensive financial planner and you look solely at the one thing and promise all this service, because that's what typically happens. You get a lot of a lot of promises for services. What's the number one reason people leave their advisors in this country? And it's been the number one reason for as long as I can remember. I haven't heard from them. Oh, yeah. that, well, that is a symptom of how compensation is generally. Yeah. Is- done so yeah. but that's changing that's changing let's, let's hope but anyway but I, I, I believe it's changing when i see drop the number two and then three but we'll see i deal with a lot of advisors and the majority of them do not call themselves financial planners or comprehensive and, well because unfortunately know, financial yeah. advisors now starting to be handed out on a business card at banks by tellers so yeah that's not my, a good my thing. beef is my beef is websites pretending to build financial plans 
with five questions. Yeah. No. Or that's... or investments. I mean, I saw a commercial. Look, oh, it's much easier. Uh, answer these three questions and have a portfolio. I just it's easy doesn't mean good. You know, it's no. the old saying about quick, fast, good. No, sorry, fast, cheap, good, pick two, because you can't compete in all three. Well, fast is now table stakes, the question, but but good should never be sacrificed. And with that, we have to wrap it up. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Dave. It's been, well, thank it's been you. great. And that was my interview with Dave Faulkner of Razor Plan. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews do matter and help other people discover my podcast. So it's very much appreciated. And with that, as always, I'm Jason Pereira. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.